Hello and welcome to Abolish Arkham. If we can't imagine our world without police and prisons, what about fictional ones? In today's episode, we will come face to face with Gotham's legal system, taking a deep dive into the handsome district attorney, Harvey Apollo Dent, also known as Two Face. We are your hosts, Yuki Nishida and Dakota Kennedy, and you're listening to WBCA 102.9 FM Boston. If you have been keeping up with our social media, you might have found out that we have a new format. Starting now, our episodes are an hour long. Woo! And in true Two-Face fashion, we will be splitting our episodes into two parts. First, our usual analysis, and secondly, an interview with a special guest. Today, we've got Chris O'Connor, comic enthusiast and public defense attorney, joining us to discuss all things Harvey Dent. Woo! I'm Woo. so excited. So excited that we finally get to bring people onto the show and have them bring their own individual expertise. Absolutely, and combine it with comics and Batman, which is <laughs> the best. <laughs> yeah. I'm also, I have to say, I'm extra excited to have Chris with us um, because Chris actually worked with me when I worked at the Public Defender's Office back in Portland Wow! Um, and is a huge reason why I got into comics and started reading comics in the first place because he would bring comics over to my desk and like leave them there and tell me to read them and give me all sorts of suggestions. So this is a really uh, beautiful reunion for me. I, I love that. <laughs> I love this reunion that's going to happen. <laughs> And I also just think that what better, like, you know, who better to talk to about about district attorneys, a.k.a. prosecutors, a.k.a. state's attorneys, mm-hmm. um, and Harvey Dent, who is a district attorney in the fictional world of Gotham City, um, then a public defender. And we'll get into some of those dynamics a little bit later in this episode when we bring Chris in. But I'm excited to learn more about Two-Face and just talk about district attorneys in general. Yeah, so to lay a little bit of the groundwork— um, Harvey Dent was introduced 80 years ago, turned 80 this year, this actually this past month, because he came out in his character was introduced in Detective Comics, Comics number 66, August 1942. He was originally introduced as Harvey Kent, not Harvey Dent, but it was later changed to Harvey Dent because of the association to Clark Kent. He actually didn't make that many appearances until much later in 1971 because the DC editors thought he wasn't very kid-friendly. Hmm. I mean, having acid thrown in your face is quite scary. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And Dennis O'Neill brought back Two-Face and sought to make him one of Batman's most prominent arch-nemesis. So we know Two-Face's ori- origin story during a criminal trial when he was prosecuting a felon. He was burned with acid uh, during this trial, and this sort of um, this sort of disfigured the half of his face, and causing him to go in going in, go insane basically, and taking on the persona of Two Face. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think what's so fascinating for me, and why I'm so excited that we're just starting with Harvey Dent, is I feel like Two Face and Harvey Dent don't get as much play as a lot of the other villains, mm-hmm. and I. 
am so fascinated by the fact that Harvey Dent was a district attorney and he mm-hmm. really embodied um, kind of this traditional, you know, this traditional sense of justice and that the criminal legal system works um, and that he really believed in the criminal legal system and, in fact, would use his power as district attorney to try and, quote unquote, clean up the streets of Gotham. Mm-hmm. And because of the event that you described having acid and being deformed Mm -hmm. that that was this trigger point for him into his villain origin story. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, especially to face as a villain because Harvey Dent and uh, Bruce Wayne are best friends canonically are really close friends. And we sort of see this, um, I guess like this triforce of (laughs) Batman, Harvey Dent and commissioner Gordon where Batman sort of represents this vigilante justice and Harvey Dent before becoming Two-Face represents this traditional form of justice. And we see that play out in how uh, Commissioner Gordon, I guess, interacts with or works with both of these parties. Totally, because, right, you have the cop, Commissioner Mm -hmm. Gordon, you have the district attorney, Harvey Dent, and then Mm -hmm. you have the, you know, kind of on again, off again, vigilante that is that is Batman, and that really makes up that trifecta that you're mm-hmm. explaining. <laughs> it's an interesting it's, it's an interesting dynamic to to be explored, and so more specifically on Two Face and sort of like his history, sort of the inspiration betwi- be- behind uh, the villain is uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, sort of that split personality, and we're gonna sort of take a look into the mental health origin story of um, Harvey Dent because he is diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. Which is interesting, too, because just in terms of keeping this timeline, like something that I think is interesting is that Harvey Dent is older than Arkham Asylum Mm -hmm. in terms of a character. And so I believe when we were doing some of the prep for this episode, when we were looking at Harvey Dent's villain origin story, this involvement of mental health as a discussion really came after the introduction of Arkham Asylum Mm -hmm. and showed this shift towards trying to tackle some of the mental health issues that are tangled up in the criminal legal system. And the way that they, the authors, chose to do that for Two-Face was giving him a mental health diagnosis and really, you know, focusing on his mental well-being mm-hmm. in his origin story, which I don't know that it was so clear-cut. Like that, that, and I guess correct me if I'm wrong, Yuki, that that line between Harvey Dent being disfigured and then like ha- having a mental health diagnosis is a straight line. Yeah, and we like like I said earlier in like 1971, O'Neill wanted to completely bring back Two Face and to fully develop his. Uh, sort of identity. And so we do see in the introduction of Arkham Asylum in the 1970s and this reboot of Harvey Dent and how he has a backstory of mental illness really ties that all in. So Harvey Dent suffers from dissociative identity disorder, which is a disorder that's characterized by the presence of two or more distinct personality states manifested by the abuse of his alcoholic father, who would decide whether or not to to beat Dent um, based on a flip of a coin. And we know uh, that one of Harvey Dent's signature, I guess, like... Kind of tokens. Tokens. Coin pun. (laughs) It was an accident. (laughs) Um, 
uh, is his um, is his coin where he sort of decides by the flip of a coin whether he will do an act of good or whether or not he will um, commit violence or commit an act of crime. And so we see that this abuse that's what that was instilled in Dent is his lifelong struggle. Uh, he sort of grapples with the struggle of free will and his and has an inability to make his own choices relying on this coin. Um, and he sort of copes with his mental illness by uh, becoming the youngest district attorney in all of Gotham City at the age of 26. And so they also sort of um, fleshed out the timeline or the people involved in uh, the sulfuric acid incident where Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face. And so it involves um, Carmine Falcone, uh, basically the mafia. And during this cross-examination, uh, Lieutenant Salmaroni, who is um, bribed by Falcone, throws the acid um, on Dent's face. And he sort of, after this incident, he reinvents himself as Two-Face, loses all hope in the criminal justice system in dealing with these mobs and with these mafias and this organized crime and takes matters to his own hand with the flip of a coin. By becoming a mob boss, right? Like be, by becoming the thing that he used to fight against. Exactly. Exactly. As we're talking about the themes of mental health, like I think that when we also think about the Joker and some of mm-hmm. the other trajectories that villains and their origin stories and kind of explaining certain behaviors through mental health diagnoses, it's interesting to see it in a new, or, well, I guess kind of the original interpretation mm-hmm. of that connection. And I think we need to be careful when we're kind of scapegoating mental health issues just in general as mm-hmm. kind of a reason to commit crime um, because it's it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And so just as we're talking about that, you know, just saying like, you know, we're not, you know, we're not mental health professionals. We're not experts by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is definitely a really interesting conversation that we even see play out a lot in the media. Um, so, I mean, you know, for me, what comes up is just a lot of the examples of when white men commit mass amounts of violence how they're seen and kind of often displayed in a sympathetic light because they're lone wolves or they had a mental health diagnosis or they have, you know, these other things that are going on, which, while important to consider, aren't an excuse from Mm -hmm. the harm that they've committed. You Mm -hmm. know, especially, and again, just briefly talking about popular media, you know, we don't see the same level of care when the news and the mass media refer to people of color who have been accused of crimes. And so, you know, this is kind of an early example of yet, you know, where we're at with the Joker, where we kind of have these white male villains Mm -hmm. who are their mental health diagnoses are being used to explain their violence when that's not um, that's a that's a pretty dangerous connection to make without more nuance and without more um, specificity. Yeah. And it's. Like continuing on this mental health talk, it's it's really interesting how specifically like since like like going back to our conversation in our last episode with the introduction of Arkham, this motivation to, um, I guess like, yeah, these uh, these villains 
being violent due to their mental illness is very, it's, it's such a dangerous narrative to to be putting out there. Right, because there are a lot of people out there, of course, who have mental illness and have different diagnoses who aren't violent. Mm -hmm. And so, right, because the flip side of that coin, to use another uh, to use another pun, because that's just what we're that's just the vibe today, Mm -hmm. everyone, (laughs) Um, is that, you know, it just starts to create this image that people with mental health issues are inherently violent. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case (laughs) it's not it and it it's it's so dangerous to be pushing that out yeah yeah and like you know again just like quickly going back to something we talked about last episode Mm -hmm. even the portrayal of the arkham asylum patients in the video game Mm -hmm. as being portrayed kind of as these mindless zombies and things like that like all of these images whether we like it or not we're fed them and it just does help shape our perceptions when we go out into the world and when we're seeing people or hearing about Mm -hmm. people who are experiencing mental health and i think you know part of this big thing and we're going to get into this um more a little bit later but just this idea of combining mental health and the criminal legal system and using the criminal Mm -hmm. legal system to treat mental health and whether or not mental health treatment belongs in the criminal legal system, Mm -hmm. particularly in the way that it's done now. And I think when we're talking about Arkham Asylum and we're talking about some of these origin stories, it feels like DC was so close. So close. With the introduction of Arkham Asylum and with the introduction of really giving these villains these origin stories and these nuances, mm-hmm. they were so, they were just so close <laughs> to getting it right. They and- really were. <laughs> I mean, like, after uh, this sort of reboot of Two-Face as a character, he's continuously put back into Arkham Asylum, which, you know, we all know is not going to work. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, and even um, we th- they even um, add a couple of stories um, where uh, Harvey Dent goes through rehabilitation, namely through um, plastic surgery. But we still continuously see stories of him uh, submitting back into the Two-Face well, can, per- persona yeah. or redisfiguring himself to get back into Two-Face. And continuing that struggle, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I think earlier they had tried to say in the earlier versions of Harvey Dent that his mental health diagnosis was triggered by the disfigurement. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like they're kind of trying to retcon it, you know, in in several different ways. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. much like with the story with his father's abuse and kind of where the coin comes from um, and all of these other things to create more of a cohesive story. And once Mm -hmm. again, they were just so close. They were so close. (laughs) I think all in the in before the crisis of infinite earth um there's also a problematic narrative of um when uh Harvey Dent does become uh rehabilitated through plastic surgery there's sort of this narrative of um curing mental illness or right. that mental illness has some sort of cure at least like in this reboot they're able to mend <laughs> what they were what they did prior but well, the, the harm, the hurt's still there. So, I mean, the it's, not, is, yeah. it's not as simple as like, oh, well, if Harvey Dent just went back to his, you know, his physical appearance that without the scars, that perhaps that would cure him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, my memory from that aspect of the comic is that it doesn't. 
is that he's still struggling and like he still has all of the stuff and even having the plastic surgery, which I believe and perhaps you just said this, mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne paid for. Yes, Bruce um, Wayne did pay for the plastic surgery. Yeah, um, that it's that it's not enough. And I think that that like, again, it's like mm-hmm. it's so close <laughs> at explaining how some of these like quick fixes for mm-hmm. these deeper issues that have more complex and require a more nuanced understanding of what going on what's going on they were just so close and yet just missed the mark just a little <laughs> bit there again <laughs> just so close so close dc you were so close to having a good narrative on that and i mean i don't know just a couple other things about harvey dent that i find really interesting like even as i was reading in terms of his like kind of pop culture portrayals mm-hmm. harvey dent really hasn't gotten a lot of action like particularly in some of the reboots so i believe like one of the most recent reboots that included two-face is dark knight um oh, where yeah. two-face is played by aaron eckert mm-hmm. um This is Christopher Nolan's, right? This is Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. Yeah. And so in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight, I've seen the argument made that this was one of the first times that audiences really got to see on a screen the difference between Harvey Dent and Mm -hmm. Two-Face, whereas in earlier iterations, it was like you either just saw Harvey Dent, the district attorney, Mm -hmm. or you saw Two-Face, the mob boss, I think like most famously played by Tommy Lee Jones, Mm -hmm. actually, which I need to go back and (laughs) rewatch because it has been far too long since I've Mm -hmm. seen Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) I need to watch that. Yeah, as Two-Face. Yeah. And so another thing that Harvey Dent really represents and like going with this coin is like a lot of this duality, which is Mm -hmm. also a lot of what we're challenging here in our show is this idea that, you know, there is a good bad binary and that actions fit into these clean pockets. And so even for Harvey Dent, I think part of the reason why he struggles so much is because he insists on seeing the world through this black and white lens. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also why, you know, when he is disfigured and he turns into Two-Face that he overcorrects so much by going from being a district attorney who prosecutes people charged with crimes Mm -hmm. to wanting to be one of them. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps a lot of this could have been taken with a little bit more, like, with just a little more care, a little more nuance, a little bit more curiosity, Mm -hmm. had Harvey Dent been able to operate in a world where there was more gray area and things Mm -hmm. weren't so black and white, Mm -hmm. I think that maybe he wouldn't have (laughs) cracked in the same way that he did when he kind of had this realization that so much of what he stood for wasn't what he thought it was. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting when... uh... Or just like Harvey Dent's character, just like at its core, just represents the binary of good versus bad. And with the flip of his coin, um, justice is, is determined by chance. And he is has a 50% chance of being quote-unquote good as quote-unquote bad. And I just really wish I could take Harvey Dent. You know, put my arm around him and let him know that there's stuff in between those two extremes. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure Batman feels the same way, or Bruce Wayne would feel the same way, seeing his friend Harvey Dent go through that. Yeah, yeah, and like, 
you know, we're going to be bringing Chris on shortly. So before we bring Chris on, I would also like to just talk a little bit about district attorneys and their power in general. And so district attorneys, you know, aka prosecutors, are interesting. And if you've ever seen a criminal trial, real or fictional, you're likely familiar with this role. Um, So district attorneys or DAs for short, often rep always represent the government in a criminal proceeding. Um, Sometimes they're referred to as the people, uh, which I have little air quotes in my tone, um, and the quotes are intentional, and and we'll get there. Um, But DAs and cops work together to bring criminal charges against people. Um, District attorneys have a lot of power in these criminal cases, particularly often more than judges have. Um, given um, the rise and increase in mandatory minimum sentences and district attorneys getting to choose what to charge people. Um, District attorneys also have a lot of power in the plea bargaining phase. Um, And so super quickly, plea bargains are just, you know, hey, if you plead guilty to this, I'll give you less jail time or anything like that. And so they have a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Harvey Dent representing a district attorney within Gotham, there is a lot of parallels that we can draw. And so I bring all of this up just as a segue, as a placeholder for when we come back um, to talk with Chris about the relationship between district attorneys and public defenders, particularly how those relationships play out in real life Mm -hmm. and within the city of Gotham. And now I think it would be a perfect time to bring in our first ever special guest to abolish Arkham, Chris O'Connor. Woo, 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 woo. Woo. Chris O'Connor, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm Chris <laughs> O'Connor. I'm a public defender from Portland, Oregon. I've been doing that for going on 20 years now and uh, reading a lot of comics for probably twice that. Amazing. So, Chris, I mean, I have to ask Harvey Dent, district attorney, you like comics. What happened? Why public defense? Well, I mean, I don't think Harvey Dent makes a great example of a a great prosecutor. Um, He might be a good example of a prosecutor, but maybe not a good, uh, not not something to model yourself or your career after. (laughs) Can you say more? Um, Well, you know, I mean, it's an interesting, he's an interesting character because if you go way back to the very beginning of the character, the first appearance in the Golden Age comics, you know, uh, He's this sort of uh, flashy, you know, popular figure in the city, fighting crime, fighting the mob and all that. And of course, the second he loses a little bit of his self-image with a, you know, a disfigurement, it's, obviously it's serious. He just goes absolutely off the deep end and becomes a evil villain and turns to a life of crime. It always has to be binary, right? You're either mm-hmm. the good guy or the bad guy, the black hat or the white hat. Um, and so, you know, he just literally is the guy who takes off the white hat and puts on the black hat. And now he's the bad, you know, cowboy riding around. Um, you know, I think they do a good job as time progresses to try to make that a little more nuanced when they recreate him as, uh, more a product of childhood trauma or, um, childhood abuse and try to make it a little more subtle than simply like, well, today I'm going to be evil. You know, which is, you know, how he how he kind of does it in the golden age. Um, but um, it is also interesting, too, about like how um, they physically 
they make a physical disfigurement that happens to him and that transforms him and gives that also that binary, right? Um, you know, would Two-Face be Two-Face if the acid had gone diagonally across his face? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, as a comic book reader and as a public defender, right, because public defenders are on the other side. So, I mean, maybe can you just briefly explain um, how public defenders and district attorneys work in um, kind of work against work against each other? <laughs> well, Sometimes that, together. That's a- Let's see, that's another interesting, maybe a false binary, right? Because what's the, you know, are we working against them or are we working towards the same goal? If the goal is to achieve some sort of just outcome in a dispute, figure out what did happen, didn't happen, um, then we're on the same side. If the goal is to enact retribution and punishment against somebody, then yeah, my job is to defend somebody from that. Um, But I think, you know, that's a, So what happens normally is the state is offered some sort of information from the police. They decide what charge to go forward on. They proceed, you know, it's going to depend on your county or your state or whether it's a federal case and decide how to how to charge the person and then proceed to a trial trying to prove those charges. Um, You know, that's the that's the basic idea. And we stand there to represent the people that are accused and say, you know, you can't prove this, or if you can prove it, it wasn't as bad as you thought, or what about this or that? If it comes to a sentencing issue, how do we mitigate the sentence or punishment or make sure the law is applied appropriately? Um, And a lot of our work is just trying to, we're basically the, as a public defender, um, I'm speaking broadly here, but we're basically the quality control for the justice system to make sure they're not, they're at least trying to get the right person or trying to get the right evidence in or follow the right rules. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's just interesting because there just are so many bad stereotypes about about public defenders and this idea that like, you know, even sometimes in courtroom dramas, when we see district attorneys, like they rep, they're the people, like they represent the people and kind of this idea that district attorneys, they represent the people. Like Harvey Dent, like for instance, is out there. He's prosecuting the mobsters. He's trying to break down these organized crime families. Um, He's not doing uh, wage theft cases against Wayne Industries. Um, you know, he's not the the most crimes aren't especially the richer you are, the more powerful you are or privileged you are, the less likely you are to be charged. So a lot of our clients end up being uh, people in uh, either ethnic or racial minorities or linguistic minorities or people who don't have the ability to stay off the radar screen of the government. Um, so I think, you know, I mean, some of the stereotypes are, you know, don't give, we can't give enough time to everybody because there's just too many cases and they don't resource it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't think in, I'm trying to think back to the Harvey Dent stories, you never really see the defense attorneys for the mobsters. Um, right. <laughs> I'm sure they know? have them, but I bet that they're, I bet that they're not public defenders. I bet they're shiny corporate they're like, suits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's a different scene, but I mean, um, it would be interesting to see a Batman story about, you know, the Batman public. You know, imagine every, every, pub, it must be great to be a public defender in Gotham because everybody was illegally arrested. You know, like, you know, when, when the, you know, your trunk was ripped open by Batman and you were hung on a, you know, telephone pole near him, near your car and with a big sign that says, here's the drugs. Like, it's not really about legal search. Right. I bet you can probably, uh, <laughs> I bet a lot of people walk free because of, that vigilante concept. Um, 
it's so it, it's it's an it's an odd thing that they don't have the the public defenders of, of Gotham. Right. Well, and I mean, one of the things I was even wondering is like, do you think what would Harvey Dent as a public defender look like? I mean, you know, Could it, he exists, you know, well, he's not a because the, the 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 trick of Harvey Dent, the 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 gimmick is that he abandons his so-called search for justice. Right. He's going to now he's all in it for himself. Like I was out to stop the mob. Now I'm going to be the mob. You know, mm-hmm. I was out to stop the crime. Now I'm going to be the criminal. Um, so I don't think that would work the same way. I don't think, you know, if a you know, if a public defender had some traumatic event and switched their brain and they'd probably become a prosecutor yeah (laughs) right suddenly you know i want to put people in jail yeah and frankly if you want to be if you want to be the sadistic cruel lawyer the prosecutor's where it's at right Mm -hmm. Uh, because if you know you you don't have to look far for cases of exoneration whether it's death penalty or or low-level stuff where it was clearly because some prosecutor was being lazy or greedy or cut corners or, you know, or arguably sadistic just to go after someone, even when they knew it wasn't the right person or it couldn't be. Um, so that's, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I think the, if, if Harvey Dent was a public defender, he'd probably, and was traumatically scarred, he'd become, he'd run for district attorney. Yeah. Which I do think raises this interesting question about this concept of progressive prosecutors. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's an interesting concept, right? Because like the idea is like we're going to be less mean and more just, um, which is an interesting concept that that would have to be special. If that's your job in the first place, if that's the role that you're supposed to play to, you know, arguably neutrally apply the law. Um, why would people be running against you to try to be it more neutral? <laughs> um, it, you know, it, I think the the whole concept of the progressive prosecutor is more an indictment of the old school prosecutor than a than an aspirational goal. It's just saying you're not doing it right. Um, and I think the other role that the so called progressive prosecutor movement has is interesting because it's trying to show that. Um, it points out that there's choices being made every day, who to prosecute, how to prosecute them, how hard to go after them, how many resources to spend after them. You know, in, in, in the Gotham stories, in the Batman stories, it's, you know, an all out war on the mob or whatever, or the, the mob is halfway running the town anyway. Um, so for Harvey Dent to prosecute the mob probably takes a lot of political effort. If the city council is all hooked up with the mob, if the rich people are all tolerating or tied into it so you know arguably he's pretty progressive to start with as this character um uh, but then the idea that he's changed so quickly to abandon that um suggests that maybe he wasn't in it for the justice but in it for his self-image or his you know self-promotion um you know harvey dent influencer is probably more important as a mental setup for himself than anything right I think his first picture is him getting taken, uh, you know, cameraman taking a picture saying, show us your great profile, Harvey, you know. I mean, I'd be curious to hear more what you think about like Harvey Dent in terms of how he does represent this more traditional tough on crime, uh, old, older school prosecutor. Well, I mean, you know, and obviously I think 
we got to put this in context of the Batman comics, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a guy who believes the justice system has failed and needs to put on a mask and run around in his underwear and beat up people in alleys. Um, so I think compared to that, anything is sort of progressive. The Harvey Dent's idea is like, well, we'll get, we'll have a court and a jury and then we'll get them prosecuted and they'll we'll have due the process. <laughs> They can bring their lawyers and all this, you know, I mean, so, so at the end of the day, I mean, Harvey Dent is actually pretty progressive compared to Batman. He, he doesn't punch anybody until after, you know, after he gets this through this terrible experience. Um, so, I mean, to start with, he's, he's already kind of that, I, I guess he's probably more of a new, new deal age kind of guy where there's this idea that you can reform people and we'll send them to prison and they'll, you know, or Arkham and they'll be cured or made well or reform or redeem themselves through their time and, you know, thinking in the penitentiary about the bad things they did. And then they can come out and go back to their lives. Um, you know, meanwhile, the Batman people probably all have broken jaws and, and, uh, you know, um, kind of, even if they did go to jail or, now driven by revenge or fear of the fear of crime rather than some idea that it actually the justice system will allow redemption mm-hmm. yeah i mean i as like i i just happen to know that you spent a lot of time in misdemeanors um and it, at the public defender's office and so i would love to hear maybe if you could talk about what it is like being a public defender working with clients who have severe mental health needs that are entangled in the criminal justice system and maybe how some of that plays out um, more realistically as we've addressed that, you know, this idea that they go to Arkham and they're suddenly fixed and everyone's better and crime ends and everyone's happy and goes home um, leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. And again, with the with the warning that it's going to be different in every county and every state, depending on the, the court system, I can tell you some of my experiences I mean, I'm two blocks right now from the Multnomah County Detention Center, which is Multnomah County is where Portland is in Oregon. Um, It's the largest mental health provider in the state, uh, the jail in terms of number of people going through and needing psychiatric uh, attention. Um, the, The main issue that we run into is that there is not a lot of resources outside the criminal court system. Um, If you... I always say if you break a window at Starbucks and the uh, and it's because of some sort of psychotic episode you're experiencing or something like that, um, the officer who shows up will get to decide how many hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on you. If they take you down to the emergency room to say, hey, this guy's having a what's clearly a mental health issue. Um, you know, you might be able to tap into federal funding, get it addressed as a medical issue. Uh, maybe the guy needs to be on or off the right medications or, or narcotics. Uh, maybe clarity can be uh, achieved through longer term housing or some kind of stability that the person wasn't having at the time. Or the cop can take you down to the jail and we get involved. They got to spend money for the public defender, the state hospital system, through the courts, uh, treatment in the jails, which isn't always ideal. Uh, non-therapeutic, a months-long process. And then if there's a trial about this broken window, you have to bring in the expert who testifies about what the person's mental state was at the time. And maybe there's a mental defense to the charges. Um, So you can sort of go two routes, you know, when just this, and I don't think anyone realizes that um, 
the main feature of the criminal court system when it comes to mental health is entities, people, um, representatives of different parts of the, the system spending other people's money. So that, that's really what this is about. Um, you know, Harvey Dent's budget doesn't involve how much should we uh, spend on the prisons <laughs> this year. He just, he's got his, he, he can send, you know, the mobster to prison for 10 years or five years or two years or Arkham. He doesn't have to pay the Arkham budget or go through the, I guess, county or, or state. You know, right. Right. I would so, I would love to know how much it costs to incarcerate someone at Arkham. Yeah, it's probably a pretty <laughs> high, high expense system, right? It's pretty, pretty high. high well, the property uh, damage alone that mm-hmm. happens with the villains blowing out the walls and people breaking in and out like that. The construction bills alone have to be astronomical, let alone any sort of staffing, any sort of treatment, any sort of quote unquote food, like any of these basic necessities that I would imagine are even provided in a fictional place like Arkham. And then every once in a while, one of your psychiatrists runs off with the, you know, the Joker. And And then you have uh, twice as many problems. Sure. Yeah. And so I'm sure the Wayne Foundation kicks in heavily to to pay for uh, some of the costs, but um, it's an interesting concept, right? Like, you know, so we, and I think that's a, it's a real life thing. It's, you know, how do you decide where to orient your resources? Mm-hmm. Um, because for sometimes for a few dollars worth of lithium a day, a, a month, you could solve tens of millions of dollars of problems down the road for, for a lot of people, cities and towns. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that, right, that argument like about like, you know, where money is going and how effective it is and whether or not there are cheaper, more effective options along the way um, because the criminal legal system tends to be a catch-all for all of these societal problems that we're not addressing early enough. And like you were saying, like perhaps if it is, you know, just about getting someone on the right medication, that is going to have significantly less not only financial costs, but also like just in terms of the community, in terms of the care of that individual, in terms of the well-being of people um, is going to be a lot more successful. And it's so interesting to me whenever I meet people who are so fine with throwing people in jail, both on just the the humanity aspect, but also on the financial aspect. I'm just always like, do you like truly understand like When you want, like, you know, people who are, you know, unhoused, experiencing mental health crises, maybe experiencing a drug addiction, um, you know, do you really understand, like, what it costs, like, to incarcerate them, like, (laughs) as opposed to just provide their basic needs? And when you you close the case file, when Harvey Dent or one of his deputies or whoever says, well, we got, you know, old so-and-so for that breaking and entry and off to Blackgate prison he goes or whatever, um, they don't write like, and this whole thing cost us fifty five thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, there should just be a there should be a receipt at the end of each case about how much it actually costs, and then then we can argue about whether it's wise or not. But we don't even know the first part. We don't even know how much it costs. Yeah. Um, so you know, so in terms of our day to day here, it's a huge part of our life is dealing with people who, for whatever reason, can't respond to interactions on the street in a, in a you know quote unquote normal way um most people who ride the local public transit without paying don't get caught if you're mentally ill you're more likely to get caught you know most people are able to talk their way out of a conflict at 
at the entrance to a building. Um, but if you're mentally ill and you can't regulate your re response, you're way more likely to get the cops called on you. Mm -hmm. Um, and also because of your mental health, you're less likely to be able to afford your own resources. So you're more likely to be in custody. You're not able to afford security or bail to get out. So it's just the cycle continues. So you get this winnowing and winnowing and winnowing feature of, of the system that it ends up being such a huge percentage of it becomes people in mental health crisis or who have experienced that recently. Absolutely. Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think kind of as we like start to wind down, I can't believe we only have like one more question left. Um, I mean, I would love to like perhaps like zoom out and like think about some of these themes and kind of Batman and how like I guess like, you know, I mean, can Batman and can some of these superhero comics you think exist in this kind of this these gray areas that we are describing and in these nuanced areas or do we always need someone to be the good guy and someone to be the bad guy i mean that's the whole problem with comics right there is no end there is no uh you know the story does in real life doesn't wrap up so if you want to have a story that's fun and fun to read and you want to see a character change over the years then yeah it has to be gray otherwise it's boring uh, it's terrible storytelling, right? Nobody wants to hear the black hat and the white hat shoot it out. The white hat wins and it's done. Um, you got to hear about why the white, the you know, Batman feels bad about what he's doing or why is Batman doing the right thing? All those stories. You got to have it if you want to have the story. In real life, there is no end. No one's judging the story. It's way worse than in comics. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and there is no good guy or bad guy. Everyone's just chugging along the way that the best they can. Yeah. 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 Well, and on that note, I mean, wow. Thank you so much, Chris. This has been a pleasure. Great. Yeah. Happy to talk to you. <laughs> As we close, I wanted to end with a quote said by Harvey Dent himself in Batman The Long Halloween number 235, published in 2011. And this happens when Two-Face encounters uh, Commissioner Gordon as he's holding uh, Falcone at gunpoint. And their dialogue sort of reveals Dent's loss in faith in the justice system. It goes, quote, When they aren't falling in line with the police state, that determines if they're acting as good guys or bad guys. Again and again, the courts will send them back to prison or Arkham. They will escape, and they will have the same problem again and again. You have been listening to Abolish Arkham on WBCA 102.9 FM Boston. We are Dakota and Yuki. And if you're not already, you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Abolish underscore Arkham. And we'll be going out with Ricochet Syllables by Mr. Liff from his album, Terabella. Ricochet syllables, undefeatable, tongue like a wager. Later is made but won't grab this moment alive. Live free or fight this battle, not made of fist, but of ricochet syllables. Undefeatable, tongue like a wager. Later is made but won't grab this moment alive. Live free or fight this battle, not made of fist.
Now let me pitch bombs, switch forms, switch norms, perform in dorms, ring the alarm. You late for class, well then that's that ass. But tell them you were listening to this and you'll pass. I'm swiftly gifted, now look what lifted. The earth is shifted, magic mystic. The weather changed soon as he grew another brain. I lock motion, the cosmos and maintain. You filing a complaint, man, you wanna complain? I put you in for a handshake, then I bang. I change your structure, cause I'm the sculptor. I checked your skull, bruh, it looks discolored. So I splash paint, so fainted. It ain't there. The mural is perilous, portrait of nightmare. Reoccurring, I see you blurring. You're physically fading, I'm oscillating. Ricochet syllables, undefeatable. Tongue like a wager. Later is made, but won't grab this moment alive. Lift me or fight this battle. Not made of fist, but of ricochet syllables. Undefeatable. Tongue like a wager. Later is made, but won't grab this moment alive. Lift me or fight this battle. Not made of fist, but of you. Science equation, rock of all decibels. Sit back, relax, it's all blessable. Mike Chrome, my arms are conceptual. Data bank, think tank, consensual. Thought patterns emerge, a map flexible. Verbs get served when I swerve. Catalytic convert my nerves from the surge. Electromagnetic, panoramic, running panic. The foot stomp, gigantic. Old school timbo, bulletproof coat. With a soul loop, galvanize the whole troop. Energetic calisthenic, the next nap whipping your wig back, so let it flow clean and radiant. So I say, Medina, through the gradient, we maintain life sweeter. Ricochet syllables, undefeatable, tongue like a wager. Later is made, but won't grab this moment alive. Lift me or fight this battle, not made of fist, but of ricochet syllables. Undefeatable, tongue like a wager. Later is made, but won't grab this moment alive. Lift me or fight this battle, not made of fist, but of ricochet syllables. I'm at happy hour with Rukahawa. The hitcher, the picture, make the color seem richer. The Richter splits in half from Earth crush. The fire from the fuse refused to burn brush. The earth has land but chose to pose water. The sacrifice diced on a liquid altar. Regenerated, emulated, proof of life after forensics. Point their pens at spellcaster. At which point I slipped through a wormhole. Set on turbo while hyperthermal. Cryogenic sleep, keep my rap style fresh. My form dawn, titanium, my new flesh. Now which MCs lift galaxies with ease? Besides me, the human equinox with locks. I flip bars and juggle stars over spans of time to reach far beyond man's design.
and I